This is Unfilter, episode 299 for April 4th, 2020. Good evening, and we have made it through another week together. American life transformed. And on this Friday night, we have just heard from President Trump with new guidance on wearing masks outside the home. The president saying in light of new studies, the CDC is announcing the use of a non-medical cloth face covering as an additional voluntary measure. Voluntary was a word the president repeatedly used with regard to masks. They do not want a run on medical masks in this country. The number of deaths surging in the U.S. In New York State alone, 562 deaths in just the last 24 hours, the majority in New York City. Tonight here, the staggering numbers. In just two weeks' time, we've gone from 19,000 cases to tonight, more than 270,000. More than 6,800 are dead. Hello, friends, and welcome into Unfilter, episode 299 of your Corona Cracking Cast. I hope your weekend has treated you well. My jacket sort of smells like barbecue still, so you know I'm doing all right. I'm making do. We have a great episode for you today. A lot of stuff coming up in the economy section and in the election section, which were a little light last week. Last episode. (laughs) I still get those things a little confused, you know. It's the old ways. I do see the show going back to a weekly format at some point. Right now, I'm kind of toying in my mind with the idea of just doing an episode as the news cycle demands it. What a concept. No set schedule, Chris? That's right, other Chris. No, just when the news calls for it, an episode comes out. And, of course, it would probably depend on like me not being busy on like driving or something. But you know what I'm getting at, right? I think that could be a kind of a cool format. Otherwise, weekly, I like the idea of weekly because you can set a sort of routine around it. You know what drive it might land on, etc. And for me, it's nice from a planning standpoint. So those are the two formats I'm kind of debating between right now. The old traditional weekly format that's nice and predictable or something that's more dynamic at least once a week, but maybe more if the news cycle calls for it. Obviously, that one would really really only work if people genuinely were subscribed. Like, you didn't go to the site, you didn't get a new episode manually, but you were just subscribed. Then I think as news calls for it would probably make some sense. And it seems like if there was a show I was ever going to experiment with a format like that, this would probably be the one. Just not sure. From a prep standpoint, I'm not so sure. Be curious to know what you think. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Now, we are so close to 300. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, it's just two days away. It's going to be Monday night. Well, actually, time math's hard. It's very soon. Monday, 5 p.m. Pacific, unfilter.show slash live. It's going to be a Twitch stream, so prepare yourselves for that. I had somebody surprised by that. I see you, Veratunda. So prepare yourselves. It will be on Twitch, and it's going to be an audio stream as of right now because I'm doing this from my RV uh, over a MiFi connection, so we got to do it low bandwidth. Let's talk about this. This this has been a minimum viable podcast. I'm going <clears> to <throat> excuse the old mic here. I'm going to stand up for a second to talk about this. There we go. Get everything in position because uh, I got to like gestate or whatever it's called. I think that's not the right word. I think I was going for gesture. <laughs> but I do have a little gestating to do as well. <laughs> um, so this has been a minimum viable podcast in the sense that 
I'm doing this on my own time. There's no network, no producer, no co-host. It's just me and you. And I've needed to keep it fairly tight to do that. And audio has been the primary way I do that. Not having a video version of the show cuts about two hours out of my post-production. Um, so it's not because I was editing. It just takes time to encode and put together and, you know, tweak the audio, like make it just sound a little better. Um, on an hour-long video, it just takes a while. So sticking to audio and keeping the show really focused has been a huge benefit in terms of my prep and post-production, and it's made it possible for me to do multiple shows a week, which has been fun to experiment with. But with 300 coming up, I've been thinking about why we didn't start the show back up sooner. Why, why it took the coronavirus and a global pandemic for me to restart the show. And why wasn't impeachment enough? Or why wasn't the end of Russiagate enough? Because legitimately, over the last two years, nearly on a daily basis, someone from the audience has reached out and said, I really missed the show. And I thought, that will go away. People will move on. They'll find other stuff. Somebody else will come along, copy what we did. You know, those kinds of things went through my head. Six months went on. Anytime a news event would happen, the notes would ramp up. They'd be coming in, they'd ramp up. <laughs> a year goes on. They're still coming in. A year and a half goes on. And nearly two years in, they're coming in more than ever. They didn't slow down. They increased. I've never seen anything like this in my 13 plus years of podcasting. I mean, I've seen people mourn the loss of a show, but it fades. And I've done bigger shows than on Filter. So I thought it'll fade. In the meantime, I thought, I don't, I don't know what I could say. Since before the election finished, since before Trump took office, I feel like I've been performing a type of social distancing. I feel completely disconnected from my fellow human race. We've all gone mad. And I didn't know how to process that because it's like, if you can't have, if you can't have a rational conversation with each other, which means... Not only can someone articulate something in a non-toxic, non-offensive way, but it means you listen to them and you take it in and you give them the same amount of consideration you're hoping they give you so this all can be sorted out. And we have lost our ability to do that. And the clips I'm about to get into this episode underscore that. And it's so frustrating because it means no matter what the situation is, it doesn't matter if it was war, if it was a global pandemic, we still can't put down our political fights. And that kind of mentality drives me so crazy that it feels like I'm not even a member of the species and I'm in some sort of isolated bubble observing a madhouse. And I just can't come on this microphone and be angry all the time. That's just, it's not who I am. But these things are very upsetting. And the world is in a real dump right now. And we're still taking political shots at each other. We're still putting political spins on all of this. And I've always wanted to be somebody who tries to find the signal in the noise. But towards the end of the election and after the election, I felt like people were no longer interested in the signal. They were just interested in the noise that proved their points. 
And I, my brain doesn't work like that. I don't get that. It seems so petty. It seems so childish. It seems like something that happened in high school. I'm so disappointed in my fellow citizens. I don't even consider that. I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine we're wired the same way. I, I honestly can't imagine that their brains are wired the same way my brain is wired. Because they all seem like a bunch of crazy people that just want to fight. And, and I was done with it. I was so done with it. <laughs> it gets me so angry. Because it, it makes us stew in it. We never get any traction. We never move forward when you can't have an honest dialogue. And it's the whole point of free speech and a representative government. And we are just, we're blowing it. And we're letting them do it to us. And my, my personal belief is that it's the media, having even just dabbed my toes in creating media, I, the one thing I do truly understand is those that are best at it know how to play to emotional buttons because they're universal buttons and they guarantee that all of your work will be worth your while because you'll get the attention. <sighs> and they don't care. They don't, they don't care. They're, they're part of a much larger establishment. They don't care if people in the middle class are fighting. They, don't, they genuinely don't care. They make money from it. They don't care. And we've let them spin us all up. But there was something about a pandemic that to me felt, felt like, okay, this is a chance for me to come back, and it's not a partisan issue. It's something we're all fighting together. And yet, I can see it already happening. I can see the lines being drawn already. And it, it really, I think, is for me to just get this out of my system, I'm going to have to just call these people out on it for a little while. Because I think shows like Unfilter are the solution to this overall problem, both to the low information density of our population, but also in response to media who's playing to emotional highs. Like, this is something we've been discussing in our Discord. CNN, even up to March 27th, doesn't even have a show in the top 20. And I think it might have even been up to top 40. CNN. Fox News is way up there, of course. MSNBC is way up there. CNN didn't even crack like the top 40. I have a, there's a thread in our Discord talking about this. Because they have to publish these numbers for advertisers. Well, why is that? Because CNN has a bias. But, you see, Fox News and MSNBC have figured out something that CNN hasn't admitted to themselves yet. And that is... People want to hear a specific signal. There's lots of noise, and you can pull on any signal you want, and they figured out where the large demographics of those signals are. And Fox has gone to the right of the U.S. political spectrum, and MSNBC has gone to the left of it. Lean left, as they like to say, and lean into that left. Whereas Fox News has this fair and balanced bullcrap slogan. And they know. They know that their audience wants to hear it in a particular slant. But the thing about all those people reaching out to me and the response I've seen to this show, I think underscores my, my deeper hope that there are more people that are more sort of in the middle of issues that are willing to have an intellectual conversation about things, even 
even willing to listen to a side that makes them uncomfortable sometimes and reevaluate their own opinion. I think that's actually a bigger audience. It's just that when you boil things down to the scale of these media operations, you kind of have to pick the top 80% because you're spending so much money, you got all this operation, you can't make niche content. It's too expensive. But going back to shows like Unfiltered, that's where we're different. And they can't even, they can't even solve that problem. It's just baked into who they are. It's baked into the type of media business it is because it's so large and the numbers we're talking about are so ginormous, they would, they would blow my mind in terms of revenue and probably yours. But coming from a podcaster's perspective. But it's also that 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 very strength of theirs is also their weakness because it locks them into a certain channel. <laughs> but man, I just I I just thought this would be the time we get away from it with Corona. I guess I, I thought this could be something like sure there'd be a partisan fight, but we'd at least wait till after we were through it. We'll get to it, but let's let's just start with the information this week. End of Chris rant. Just something I've been thinking about building up to 300, and I wanted to get that captured. These weekend shows, you know, I spend the weekend thinking about the show because I know I'm going to be doing it, and so then all this stuff comes up on my mind. Let's start with information, though. Let's get into the information. There is a pressure on the states that haven't initiated a lockdown yet to get on it. Lock it down. With more than 5,000 deaths now reported from COVID-19 across the country, President Trump striking a grim tone. Difficult days are ahead for our nation. We're going to have a couple of weeks starting pretty much uh, now, but especially a few days from now that are going to be horrific. And warning the national stockpile of personal protective gear for healthcare workers is nearly depleted. It is because we're sending it directly to hospitals. We don't want it to come to the stockpile because then we have to take it. The New York Times reporting the contract to maintain the government's stockpile lapsed last summer. A dispute meant that a new firm did not begin its work until January. The virus is expected to kill tens of thousands of Americans. Florida, Georgia and Mississippi joining at least 42 other states ordering residents to stay at home. The president now facing growing calls to issue similar nationwide restrictions. There are some states that are different. There are some states that don't have much of a problem. That's such a weird outlook because, of course, the point of locking it down is to prevent the spread. But what he I think truly doesn't want to do is get in the position of overriding the governors and creating a state versus the federal government battle. I think that's what's really at play with not forcing the states. And of course, the local states aren't preemptively shutting down because they don't want to kill their economy. They are probably doing the calculus that if they're one of the last states to hold out, then they'll probably be in the best state when things restart. But of course, they could end up with some of the most significant long-term outbreaks. We just wait and see. The question is being asked already, though. Who dropped the ball? And where is Dr. Fauci? Uh, I don't know, but every time you ask that question, whenever he's not here, you look, you say, where is he? And you'll say, is there a problem? No problem whatsoever. Every time he's not here, sometimes I'll ask him to come because... You hear how the cameras go crazy when uh, Trump starts popping off at uh, Acosta? They love that. He's right, though. So I've watched every one of these press conferences, but I think one or two. And every time Dr. Fauci is gone, there's a story about them fighting and that there's tensions in the administration every single time. <laughs> so I was I was kind of laughing when he did this because he's he's right. Um, of course, they clip it out and, you know, call it 
Trump rages against the press, but they do it. No problem whatsoever. Every time he's not here, sometimes I'll ask him to come because that's the first question that you and a couple of others from the fake news establishment ask is, where's Dr. Fauci? We're doing great together. Different subject, if I may ask. We're covering a different subject today. Go ahead. Different subject, if I may ask. Go ahead, Jim. Try another one. Try another one. So Jim Acosta gets a second question in there, and this was the real question. Except we're covering a different subject today. Go ahead. Different subject. Go ahead, Jim. Mr. President, you have said nobody could have seen this pandemic coming. Uh, But in fact, Secretary Azar at a biodefense summit in April 2019 said, of course, the people, uh, of course, the thing that people ask, what keeps you most up at night in the biodefense world? Pandemic flu, of course. I think everyone in this room probably shares that concern. Your own Health and Human Services Secretary was aware that this had the potential of being a very big problem around the world, a pandemic of this nature. Who dropped the ball? First of all, just as an aside, absolutely hate the term, what keeps you up at night? It's a term government officials use to make it sound like they worry so much that they lose sleep. And it also plays on the fact that as a society... As a badge of honor, we lose sleep because we work so hard because we're thinking about it's a it's a badge of honor. When in reality, if we all got a lot better sleep, maybe this coronavirus wouldn't be spreading so much. Side, that's just an aside. The question you could argue is a gotcha question, but Trump doesn't treat it that way. He doesn't have a good answer for it, but he doesn't treat it that way. What I find interesting about the core of this question is I think you could probably find lots of quotes from people saying different things about pandemics going back for many years. So it's sort of a buffet of quotes you can choose from. So there's always going to be somebody you can cite. Of being a very big problem around the world, a pandemic of this nature. Who dropped the ball? Well, I always knew that pandemics are one of the worst things could happen. Uh, There's been nothing like this since probably 1917. That was the big one in Europe. It started actually here and went to Europe, probably. Uh, uh, I've heard about, excuse me, wait a minute, let me finish. I've heard about this for... A long time pandemics. You don't want pandemics. And I don't think he was talking about a specific pandemic. He was talking about the threat of a pandemic could happen and it could happen. Most people thought it wouldn't. And most people didn't understand the severity of it. This is very severe. What's happened is very severe. But I'd let you answer that. I assume we can stop there. It's a nonsensical answer. The information that the president gets is only as good as those that are giving it around him. So Dr. Fauci has been held up as a real expert here and sort of described as one of the experts on his team that is really making this somewhat effective. And you could even find quotes from Dr. Fauci that saying it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Well, if this is the guy that's advising Trump, why are we surprised? This is Dr. Fauci on January 21st, 2020. So uh, manageable numbers. Um, Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. All right. So there you go. You could you could play that and you could say, well, Dr. Fauci said. So it's always going to be a game of gotcha with something like this. I think that's just a given. I wouldn't be surprised if Dr. Fauci wasn't up in that presentation because there seems to be going some kind of like there seems some some sort of ongoing security threat around Dr. Fauci. I noticed in a press conference 
earlier this week, I think back on Tuesday, they asked about it and they immediately shut it down. Oh, no, no, no. We'd have to defer you to somebody else for questions about that. But it seems on Friday or maybe it was late Thursday, it was released to the press that there has been indeed death threats against Dr. Fauci. Well, this is just disturbing to hear. Dr. Anthony Fauci, a key member, you might even say the leader of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. No, no, you wouldn't. That's supposedly Pence. But I see what you're doing there. Can't can't give can't give Trump any credit and you can't give the guy next to Trump credit either. Fair enough. Fair enough. I thought we were giving it all to Kuma. Kuman? What was it? Coleman? Como? Oh. Cuomo. Fauci, a key member, you might even say the leader of the White House Coronavirus Task Force on many days. He is now facing death threats. We couldn't believe it when, when we learned about this. He's been forced to beef up his security detail following growing concerns for his safety. Our senior justice correspondent, Evan Perez, broke the story and joins us now. How can this be? Well, he's a hashtag uh, Vax guy. That's how. That's how. Him and his buddy, Bill Gates, that is. Eventually, what we'll have to have is certificates of who's a recovered person, who's a vaccinated person, because you don't want people moving around the world where you'll have some countries that won't have it under control. Sadly, you don't want to completely block off the ability for those you know, people to go there and come back and move around. I want to back that up. I, I think what he's saying, too, is he's talked about a digital dot chip. Um, so this is Bill Gates in an interview talking about travel certificates that say you've been vaccinated being required. I'll play it again because it, it's loud, the audio is bad, and it happens quick. Eventually, what we'll have to have is certificates of who's a recovered person, who's a vaccinated person, because you don't want people moving around the world where you'll have some countries that won't have it under control. Sadly, you don't want to completely block off the ability for those you know, people to go there and come back and move around. Now you might ask, uh, who's who's Bill Gates to say uh, what's going to or not going to happen? Uh, you should go probably go Google search uh, Gates Foundation and the WHO. That'll explain who Bill Gates is to talk about this. But the theory has been, and maybe why Fauci has needed more security, is that there's something bigger going on. And right now, and I'm not really talking about them very much because it's sort of like how I view 9-11. There's a lot of conspiracies. I'm tracking six different conspiracies today. I have one really big document where I'm trying to keep track of everything that people think is behind this. And I find that fascinating. But sort of like 9-11, it almost is irrelevant in a sense because the politicians that will take advantage of a situation are going to take advantage and the lockdowns happening regardless, the economic results happen regardless. So in some sense, it doesn't really matter if it was a lab in Wuhan or if it's 5G towers. It just, it doesn't matter at this stage because we're in it now. And now we have to deal with the results of that. And, I, and those are very measurable. But that doesn't mean people aren't still freaking out. And there was a group of folks that lit a 5G tower on fire as a sign of protest. I'll have a link in the show notes. Now, unfortunately, like most cell phone towers, <laughs> it doesn't just, just do one band, right? So it was also the 4G LTE tower. So it just really takes out all of the cell signal, which is not ideal. 
during a pandemic. And so the government got rather chaffed about it, mates. The story somehow got about that uh, uh, they play a role in the in the spread of the disease. This is uh, Michael Glove, as I like to call him. And uh, he's uh, standing in now for Boris since Boris is still home taking selfie videos of him and the coronavirus. Uh, that's just nonsense. Dangerous nonsense as well. Um, and I'm hand over to uh, Steve to say a little bit more about uh, the vital importance of uh, knocking down this rubbish. Yes. Uh, so the 5G story is complete and utter rubbish. It's nonsense. It's the worst kind of fake news. Ooh, rubbish. Double rubbish and fake news. The reality is that the mobile phone networks are absolutely critical to all of us, particularly in a time when we are asking people to stay at home uh, and to um, not see uh, relatives and friends. Uh, but in particular, those are also the phone networks that are used by our emergency services and our health workers. And I'm absolutely outraged, absolutely disgusted uh, that people would be taking action against the very infrastructure that we need to respond to this health emergency. Uh, it is absolute and utter rubbish, and I can't condemn it uh, in stronger terms than that. Whoa, a double rubbish. Fuck the EU. Wow, that is, uh, that's a lot. Obviously, they're not so happy about cell towers getting burned down. Um, and as far as a conspiracy behind this, I have a few links in the show notes I encourage you to check out. And if there's ever something you think we haven't covered in the show, do check that out. There's a lot of stuff that gets written that there's no audio available for or or that I will read to inform something I say. And then I link that stuff as I read it and I go, you know, I think this is something I'll probably work into what I talk about. I bookmark it immediately and I try to batch it into every release of the show. So this this uh, batch of show notes would be at unfilter.show slash 299 and uh, you can find it there. Now, I, I haven't given a lot of attention to the COVID situation in Canada, so I've been trying over the last couple of episodes to sort of include more international news in regards to the virus. So here's our update on Canada. I'm Harry Forrestell in Fredericton, where the number of people infected with COVID-19 continued its relentless climb today. Four more cases for a provincial total of 95. Now, New Brunswick has the second largest population in the region, but remarkably, no deaths here yet, although health officials say they will be inevitable. Across the border, Nova Scotia leads the region with 207 cases, 14 of those added today. Most of those cases are travel-related, but there are growing concerns about community transmission in Nova Scotia. PEI added no new cases today. It has 22 infections. And finally, Newfoundland and Labrador added 12 new cases for a total of 195 and the region's only death from COVID-19. Newfoundland and Labrador says it won't be able to do the modeling. I find that fascinating. Nope, we can't do it. The modeling's too much work. From COVID-19. Newfoundland and Labrador says it won't be able to do the modeling that will indicate when the COVID surge will hit. The other three provinces here have committed to doing that next week. I'm Alison Northcott in Montreal, the epicenter of the Quebec outbreak. The province leads the country with more than 6,000 confirmed cases. That's in part because of more testing here. But there are more than 400 people in hospital, more than 100 in intensive care, and 61 people have died. Quebec's premier says he'll reveal projections for the outbreak next Tuesday. Uh, we have to give the population the information we have. Uh, but until now, the information was uh, not clear. <laughs> I love Canadians. Their press conferences are much more chill <laughs> than our press conferences are. Now, the uh, 
rant that I had a couple of, I don't like calling them rants. I don't know what else to call it. The point I attempted to make um, a few episodes back that it seems like we're just sort of confirming the Bernie Sanders approach to managing an economy was um, sort of underscored by the news that the federal government would be working directly with hospitals to pay for COVID treatment. As I said yesterday, the president has put a priority on ensuring that no American has to worry about the cost of coronavirus testing. And we've been working every day to make sure that Americans don't have to worry about the cost of treatment. Uh, and at this point, uh, the White House Coronavirus Task Force is working on a proposal for the president uh, to use some of the $100 billion that we're making available to hospitals to compensate the hospitals directly for any coronavirus treatment that they provide to uninsured Americans. We're working out the details of that. The president will make a final decision tomorrow. We expect uh, an announcement, but the president's made it very clear. We don't want any American to worry about the cost of getting a test or the cost of getting treatment. Funny thing that Trump does while people are talking, and it's really hard to catch uh, because it's 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 a he's off microphone, but he gets bored immediately and he wants to cut these people off and get back up on mic. And he calls out on journalists and tells them to start asking their question while they're still talking. He'll do it right here. Expect uh, an announcement. You can just hear him barely. Oop. Because of that, the president will make a final decision tomorrow. And now Trump points at somebody. We expect Listen. Uh, an announcement. But Boop. I don't know. It's probably hard to hear, but he's like, you. And he's telling the person, start asking your question. Go ahead and cut the vice president of the United States off. I want to move on. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Uh, I, I find that like extreme ADD. It's what it seems like to me. And there's just something to it that uh, I, I don't know. Something to it that seems like he can only probably listen to somebody explain something for about three minutes. And then after that, he's done. And that's something that I've heard and read about Trump, and it does seem to manifest in these um, press conferences, where he, does, he just doesn't. Same with all the other folks that go up. And I don't know if it's because he wants to get back up on the mic so bad, or if he just, he's done listening, all right, you answered it, you did, you did fine, you got it. And he had, he had pretty much answered it. He had pretty much, but he hadn't finished putting that whole Pence spin on it. There's no spin for how bad the unemployment numbers are. We talked about 3.3 million or something like that it was just a few episodes ago. It was, holy smokes, that's a lot. But like we suspected then, it's just the beginning. We are back with a Fox News alert. Weekly jobless claims soar to a record-breaking oh 6.6 million as the economy reels over the coronavirus. Yeah, that's right. You could hear the other anchor actually out loud gasp there. Let's go in for a little more context on those numbers. Staggering new numbers tonight on unemployment. We learned today 6.6 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week alone. That's nearly 10 million workers now applying for unemployment in just two weeks. Tonight, the workers from Iowa to New York to Florida. And here's Rebecca Jarvis. Tonight, the swelling number of people out of work, that parallel catastrophe to the virus itself, the speed of layoffs unprecedented. The pain being felt across the country. I know I was not prepared for this. Never been put in this position before. Never thought I would have to be in this position. All told, in just two weeks, nearly 10 million Americans have filed for unemployment insurance. Those numbers don't include the self-employed or the many Americans who've been trying to apply but can't. Yeah, my wife's business, uh, acupuncture, totally devastated by this. And she doesn't show up on that. A lot of the small businesses around us don't. 
And uh, this last week, it's expensive to do it, so we could only do it for a couple of days. But we tried to pick a few of our favorite restaurants and a, and a brewery that's near my home base that I just love and just go pick up some food from them or pick up some uh, some brews and just try to support them a little bit and ask them how they're doing, and they're not doing great. It'd be devastating because these are really great places. Like some of the, I travel this country, and some of the best Indian food I've ever had is right here in my hometown. Um, and the brewery is just one of these fantastic places that has an outstanding cherry cider with uh, a nice warm pretzel and that nice beer cheese dip that they make there locally. And they got, you know, a really nice area to hang out indoors and outdoors, and they allow dogs, which is great. And it's just one of those places that adds a real charm and value to where you live because it's in a walking distance, so it's safe, and it's just fantastic. And you just hate to see those kind of businesses go away because they've only been around for like two, three years. It took them a while to get the brewery going in the first place. And they just kind of were getting on their feet. And then this comes along. And I don't think we're done yet. There's a saying that they have in economy, uh, in the economy, like uh, talking head market. What do you call that? What are those? Not economists, but um, it's a type of reporter that does economy reporting. I can't remember what it's called because I'm becoming an old man, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I'll just leave the Biden jokes aside. Uh, and they have a term that I, I think is quaint, a little gross, but it's it goes along something of the lines like, uh, this is not what a bottom smells like. Uh, you get it? A bottom? Stinky bottom? You get it? It's not what a bottom smells like. And I'm starting to see this used more and more in print and in radio and video reports. Oh, we're not at the bottom yet. That's not what a bottom smells like. <laughs> it's not what, we're not there yet. Why do you say that, that there is more downside to come here? Is it based on historical precedent? Is it based on the action that you've seen in the market over the past few days? What tells you that we have more downside to go? Well, it's a combination of both, plus some work that we've done on investor sentiment, both, frankly, in our conversations that we've had, as well as some of the data that we look at. Let's start out with just how the market is acting. Um, one of the things we've been talking about a lot these last few weeks is how the market is has just an eerie resemblance to the trading that took place in September and October of 2008. For whatever reason, we just seem to be following down that same path on a day-to-day basis. And if you look back at that period, we had plenty of big upswings in the market that took place in the context of major downswings. So we looked at the rally we had last week and we said, hey, guys, this is actually just keeping in line with that late 08 playbook. Don't be fooled by it. Now, when we think about sentiment, I will tell you, frankly, I've done this a long time, Ty. I know you have as well. When we get to bottoms in the market, and just think back to December 2018, people aren't talking about their shopping list. You hear panic in people's voice. And while I applaud the investment community for being calm right now, I'm just frankly talking to too many people who want to buy. This is not what bottoms smell like in the market. I just can't. So it's, uh, by the way, I looked it up. It's Capital Market Strategy Analyst. That's what these types of journalists are called. That's the name I couldn't remember. <laughs> That's why. Um, so they, the argument here is that people aren't freaking out enough. And that the buy, the upswings we've seen, followed by a little bit of down and some up and down that you're hearing reported on and off basically every day, that is mirroring activity that we saw in 2008. That's what she's saying, and that's why she's saying people aren't afraid enough. This buying and selling activity matches the kind of activity we've seen before previous crashes. We're probably not there yet if you just go with these kind of basic common sense signals. 
I can buy that. Now, I'm just frankly talking to too many people who want to buy. This is not what bottoms smell like in the market. Now, let's take it away from the conversation and think about data. Look at retail investor sentiment. It's been tracking about 52% bearish if you look at the latest AAII survey. It's been around 50% for the last couple weeks. In the financial crisis, and I think, unfortunately, we have to start talking about that example, bearishness got up to 70% in March 09. It regularly hit 60%. Uh Uh-oh. So also the customer, or not customer, in this case, the customer is the stock market, but their bearishness versus bullishness is also matching previous patterns. But who knows? Things could be different, but it seems like things are going to keep sliding. It would make sense. You keep the economy locked down for another month. Obviously, it's going to happen. And oil prices aren't going back up. We'll, We'll get to oil. Hold on. Let's talk about this fourth Relief bill, phase four. We haven't even spent all of the dollars for phase three, and we're already talking about phase four. Some folks are trying to play it down a little bit. Next phase of this is to get everyone who manages to stay on the boat uh, back to work. So infrastructure projects uh, across the board. You know, we've talked about infrastructure week so many times. It's almost become a joke. It's not a joke anymore. This is going to be something I think, if, especially if this crisis continues and deepens, that we're very much going to need as a country. But I think how and whether it gets done successfully is going to depend on that relationship between the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and Mitch McConnell. Pelosi did a long conference call yesterday that I was on with reporters talking about their priorities. Mitch McConnell did an interview with Bob Costa over at the Washington Post and said, Nancy needs to stand down. Uh, and they really squared mm. off in the last uh, bill. And we're going to need them to be able to work together, Americans will, if, if this sort of project is going to get through. And Pelosi did say that they've had overtures already from the administration. So if this is what President Trump wants to do and he's willing to work with Nancy Pelosi to do it, I could see it happening. But that might mean that the Republicans in Congress get steamrolled. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> yeah, we got a problem here, don't we? This is a real problem because phase four is going to be the real stimulus package. Phase three, which they're calling a stimulus package, was a rescue bailout, not a stimulus package. It's a keep people alive, keep the lights on package. Oh, and also, (laughs) here's some pork. So phase three is going to be the one that probably gets us going again, especially by the time the money actually lands in the system. And they are already beginning to draw the battle lines. And this is a real issue because there's still a lot of concerns over how the actual money for phase three is getting out there. Well, with the small business owners, a number of them saying that they were on that conference call and that there's a tremendous power struggle going on uh, between the Treasury and, and SBA and that act, it's over process and forms is what they tell me that lenders are actually opting out because they can't make enough money to even service the loans. So how are you going to make sure these small business owners get the capital they need to survive right now? There's a power struggle. First of all, I can assure you, Jovita's here. Jovita used to work for me as the treasurer. There's no power struggle. Uh, Jovita and our team, as I said, worked together till 4 o'clock in the morning, started working at 7 o'clock again. We've made the form simpler. And uh, I can assure you, at five points, uh, I've told these bankers they should take all their traders and put them in the branches. So there'll never be another opportunity to earn five points on a 90-day government, fully government-guaranteed loan. 
And the checks right into direct deposit. IRS now saying it could take four to five months. You're saying two weeks. Well, let, me be, us, let me be clear. I don't know where. You, let me be clear. I don't know where you're hearing these things. I told you this would be three weeks. I'm now committing to two weeks. We're delivering on our commitments. The IRS, which I oversee, within two weeks, the first money won't be in people's accounts. Yeah, <laughs> He's not having it, is he? The question is not about the first checks for folks who have direct deposit. It sounds like those will go out pretty quickly. The question is then for folks who don't have direct deposit. And there was a staff sure. memo that was released by the House Ways and Means Committee today saying that that process could take up to five weeks. That takes you to mid-August. Is that how long it's that, going that, to that take? That is not going to take months, five weeks. Again, let me just say, when Obama sent out these checks, it took months and months and months. I am assuring the American public they need the money now. What we're going to do is, again, if we have your information, you'll get it in two, in, within two weeks. Social Security, you'll get it very quickly after that. No, 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 no. Hey. What's that, Obama? What's that? You say no? Hmm. We'll see about that. We'll see. We can hold him to that. Help me remember to check back and see if that came through or not. I uh, I have just a very brief update on oil. There's not a lot here yet. It appears that they may be reaching a production agreement, like a cap that they could they could all kind of agree to. Welcome back. Our Joe Kernan anchored Squawk Box this morning as usual, but he is back having just spoken to the president. Morning, Joe. You're right. Uh, kind of out of the blue call. I speak to the president occasionally, but just received a call from him, said he spoke to uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday and spoke to MBS today, uh, and he expects uh, them to announce a cut of up to or of 10 million barrels, uh, perhaps 15 million, but 10 million barrels of oil production cut uh, that could be as high as 15 million. And I assume that he's going to uh, come out and uh, in some fashion with an announcement or a tweet. Yeah, there's been some news, but it seems like there could be a pretty big compromise in there for the state. So I'm following that. But it looks like what's going to happen is that perhaps Saudi Arabia and Russia. <laughs> God, I can't believe it. what a weird what a weird world will come to an agreement on how much they can produce. And then they'll just produce to that. But the trade there will be what we have to give up. And that's been the interesting bit. Trump's given a few hints here and there in the press conferences. But we'll see. I have a theory. I'm saving it, though. I'll get a few more clips, and then we'll talk about it. I want to play one more of your good buddy, Jim Cramer. He's he's really been out there. Um, he's cranking out content right now, and uh, he's not sugarcoating it. I got to be honest with you. We could be on the verge of a depression, not a recession, a depression if things don't go right. We just got the worst monthly employment report since 2009, 700,000 jobs lost. And that doesn't even cover the last two weeks where we had nearly 10 million jobless claims. The bad numbers are just beginning, which is why the averages got hit today. Dow losing 361 points, S&P sinking 1.51%, NASDAQ falling 1.53%. It could have been worse earlier in the day. It was bad. Now, this is going to be a brutal period, but if we handle things right, it will be a short depression. I would call it a decession or a repression, but the first sounds silly, and we don't want a repression. Can we have a mini depression? I mean, we're in uncharted waters. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know why I laugh other than uh, he just, uh, I guess, he's kind of a character. Um, yeah, I really think that's going to be the story. Once we get, once we get into the summer, 
that's going to be the story. And how do we turn this thing back on? How do we roll this out? Especially since there will undoubtedly be areas that are still struggling with it. And if we're not careful, it comes back in the fall with a vengeance. So what are we going to do? Do we cancel the election? Because I've heard that. We're going to cancel the election. It may well be the last thing anyone in America is thinking about right now. To the question, might the corona crisis cancel the November presidential election? The answer is no. Not a chance, um, says Mark Elias, Democratic Party and voting rights lawyer. That date won't change. A state can't change it. President Trump can't change it. The only way that could change is by act of Congress. But there are, he says, complications. Think about it. Would you stand in line to vote in the time of corona? And what about finding volunteers needed to staff those busy polling stations on Election Day? Good luck. One solution, a vote by mail. But not all states allow it. Rules vary and post offices could be overwhelmed. The time to act on all of it, says Elias, is now. And unless we take affirmative steps to make sure that we can provide safe um, and well-staffed in-person voting, but also uh, dramatically scale up, the ability for voters to vote by mail. That seems to be it right there, not to cut him off, but that seems that seems to be it. Now I want to talk about the partisan aspect of this that was getting me pretty worked up because it's so disappointing to see it already going down. And here we are. I talked about it two episodes ago. This hint that Nancy Pelosi dropped during an interview that they were creating a post-action report that sounded like it would be impeachment 2.0. Well, in another interview, she drops it again. You've said that the president's denials of the seriousness of the virus in the beginning was deadly, that it cost lives. The president and the Senate Majority Leader are now suggesting that impeachment distracted the president from responding to the virus. Do you buy that at all? I think uh, that's an admission that perhaps the president and the majority leader cannot handle the job. Uh, We have a life and death situation in our country, and they should not try to hide behind an excuse for why they did not take action. But I think uh, that's a great line right there. And then she really she seals it with this. Does admit that they did not take action. That's such a great response. This has been a talking point that I think they've adopted, but it's a good one. Uh, the part that I take issue with is the next. But let, that's for an after-action review uh, down the road. Right now, uh, we have to work together to get the job done. A what again? That they did not take action. But let, that's for an after-action review. Another hint at the after-action review, which is another way of saying we're going to try to figure out where they screwed up. And then we're going to try to get them. Is that necessary? Maybe. Should that be their priority right now? Nope. Nope. And we all know it. They know it, too. That's why they're framing it as, oh, that's for later. But that's not how these things work. Government's slow. You start putting these things together now. You get a committee going. You give them some authority. And then you roll that right into an investigation. But that'd be too obvious, right? House Intel Chairman, uh, Adam Schiff, now calling for an independent commission to investigate the federal government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The congressman tweeting after Pearl Harbor, 9-11, we looked at what went wrong to learn from our mistakes. Once we recovered, we need a nonpartisan commission to review our response and how we can be better prepared for the next pandemic. I'm working on a bill to do that. So first of all, citing 9-11 is cold and it's calculated. It's pushing that emotional button. Additionally, 
calling it right now would be calling for the 9-11 Commission while the Twin Towers were still smoking. It's too soon. Joining us now to react, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Doug Collins, often by Adam Schiff's side, but maybe not on the same side. Congressman, is this the time to bring up a commission? No, it's not. There you go. <laughs> I just love that part in there because, I mean, it's not. It's it's really not. And it is it's going to cost the Democrats. This is what uh, I have a point I have tried to make since the previous run of Unfilter where I had a segment called Oh, Nancy. I think Nancy Pelosi and your Adam Schiff's and your Chuck Schumer's are corrupt. I know. Shocker. But I think everyone sees that. In fact, that's why I even say, oh, I know. Shocker. It's obvious. <clears throat> it's obvious. That's why when Trump says things like drain the swamp, it's not just Mitch McConnell that invokes. It's all of them. They're all a bunch of corporatist pigs that just get their pockets lined by defense industry or any special interest group that can hire lobbyists. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is a very wealthy woman. So is Chuck Schumer. He's a very wealthy woman, too. And I think <laughs> uh, I, I think that it's 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 obvious and it it is part of what feeds the distrust for establishment. No one trusts the media. No one trusts the government. And so you have conspiracies that abound because you don't trust anything that's coming from any official source. And why would you when you have people like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi? The Democrats want to win the presidency, but they run people like Biden and they have people like Pelosi and Schiff at the top. The two things are incompatible. There's a reason why individuals like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump get a lot of attention. They're break the system, guys. That's their, that's their deal. They're break the system, guys. That's probably why the other candidates didn't get very far. They were system as usual candidates. And I don't really see the last pre the Russiagate didn't seem to go well for them. Um... Impeachment didn't seem to go well for them. And this is an even shakier case here. And this body is going to have full authority to subpoena records, to do investigations. This thing's fully charged. It's loaded to go. Speaker Pelosi today is announcing a new bipartisan select committee to oversee the federal response. And joining me now is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Welcome, Madam Speaker. Thank you very much for being Thank with you. us today. My Tell pleasure. us first about the new select committee that you are announcing today. Uh, what do you see the purpose? Is this the after action report that Adam Schiff was talking about, which would be similar to a 9-11 commission of non-electeds? Or is this the ongoing federal response that needs to be overseen as you as you analyze it? Now, the Democrats are too smooth for that. Any politician at this level is. A Republican would be, too. Any politician at Nancy Pelosi's level and anywhere near her is way too smooth for this. This is such a softball question. This is such an example of how your media is failing you. Because it's obvious on its face what this commission's intention is. But it would be political suicide to come out and say it like that. Oh, yeah, no, we're looking for every opportunity to get the president. And so we're building up something that has the authority and organizational structure to launch a post-action investigation against the Trump administration. She's not going to say that. She can't say that. 
She would never say that. No, 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 no. This is about making sure every dollar is spent and accounted for. That's why it needs all this authority. It's, it's about protecting the American people that I've been shitting on for 30 years. That's what it's about. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be with you today, a day that we've gone over 200,000 cases, over 6 million unemployment insurance applications. This is a very big assault on the livelihood and the lives of the American people and requires extraordinary action. Uh, in our first bills, the first two bills, we addressed the emergency of it all, testing, testing, testing. Not that it was all heated, but nonetheless, that was what was advanced. In the third bill that was signed by the president last week, we talked about mitigation, certainly continuing our emergency emphasis, but mitigation for the damage to the health and well-being of the American people and to our economy. And next, we want to move to recovery. And you mentioned that the, the Senate didn't seem to be ready for that, but the American people have needs that maybe are not... Uh, well-known to the leader, uh, but are well-known in every community across our country. This is a great opportunity to be seen as trying to take the lead in this, because it's extremely hard for the Democrats in this position. Biden is on the sidelines doing Zoom events that generally have technical difficulties that make them unshareable. Trump and his task force are running the virus from the White House, the, the virus response, I should say. Maybe. And they're getting a lot of press. And then you got your buddy, Kumo. What's that? Kumin? Huh? Oh. Oh, Como. Uh, and he's doing a daily press briefings from New York. And the funny thing is, is CNN, has, CNN and MSNBC have stopped covering the Trump press conferences. And now they carry the Cuomo press conferences. And they even do like the post interview with the press that was there. They stand in front of like the press conference room and they talk to the anchor about what they feel like they interpreted and heard from what Cuomo had said. What's that? Cuomo? Oh, Cuomo. And it's they treat it like a presidential press conference on both CNN and MSNBC. And of course, Fox News, that partisan network. They only play the Trump press conferences and they pretend like the Cuomo press conference doesn't even exist. The guy, and, and then when Hannity talks about Cuomo, it's about how, what an idiot he is and how he's so dependent on Trump and everything good he's got is because of Trump. And CNN pretends like the people that are leading this entire thing are Dr. Fauci and that Pence and Trump don't even exist. And their press conferences are so riddled with factual errors that they dare not air them to you because you're so dumb you might not understand them and you might go kill yourself with fish tank cleaner. And these are the lines. And you have Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff starting back up their investigation engine that's failed twice before to once again waste tax dollars and destroy the reputation of Democrats and make the progressives in the party look like the crazy ones that want to actually just govern. This is the state of affairs for that party. Going into an election, no less, clearly, clearly attempting election interference without a shadow of a doubt. There's no question about it. It would be clear election interference because it would be altering the perception of the president of the United States, and they're doing it for political reasons. They're already beginning the investigation before the peak of the outbreak. And, of course, Trump's taking shots 
and digging holes because he just gives the press clips to play that say, look what a lunatic he is. We can't play these press conferences for you because they're just this. In recent weeks, as the virus has spread and economic hardship has followed, we have seen Americans unite with incredible selflessness and compassion. I want to remind everyone here in our nation's capital, especially in Congress, that this is not the time for politics, endless partisan investigations. Here we go again have already done extraordinary damage to our country in recent years. You see what happens. It's a witch hunt after witch hunt after witch hunt. And in the end, the people doing the witch hunt have been losing, and they've been losing by a lot. Uh, and uh, it's not any time for witch hunts. It's time to get this enemy defeated, conducting these partisan investigations in the middle of a pandemic is a really big waste of vital resources, time, attention. And we want to fight for American lives, not waste time and build up my poll numbers, because that's all they're doing, because everyone knows it's ridiculous. I do whine because I want to win. So it's a, right there is why they won't go. They won't just come right out and say that's what this new body is for, of course. And if this was so important, they would have built it into legislation originally. That's just how these things work. And I, I just the whole thing is going to be a shit show because as I played a clip of Dr. Fauci earlier saying, oh, yeah, no, it's no big deal. Right. You're going to be able to pull on anything because when it's a theoretical pandemic, people are going to say all kinds of things. And when it's just some people in China that have it, that, and, and as far as you know, it hasn't hit in the United States yet. It's easy to say it's going to be this or that. Everybody can everybody can find a quote. Uh, do you think it's fair for Mitch McConnell to suggest that impeachment slowed down the federal response? No. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, they can't handle their jobs, I guess, uh, because it, it, what are they saying? We ignored it. It was self-evident. Most people knew about it, and certainly those of responsibility. So I say of that, either you can't handle your job, uh, but don't blame impeachment on that. Just It was self-evident, she says. It was self-evident. Most people knew about it, she says, including, as we know, her. It's exciting to be here, especially at this time, uh, to be able to be unified with our community. Uh, we want to be vigilant about what it might be on the, uh, what is out there in other places. We want to be careful about how we deal with it. But we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and Come join us. Yeah, come join us. The federal government is so incompetent, and the people that are supposedly in positions of leadership are so disconnected from what's actually going on that there is an endless source of blame to go around. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish you could have a nonpartisan investigation led by an impartial group of representatives that would do an investigation that would make the justice system proud. I wish that was a thing, but just saying it sounds ridiculous. It's the reality. It's really disappointing, but now, now I feel like getting that off my chest, calling them out on that kind of stuff, it helps clear my head in a way. Like, I have to get it out on the record. I may even shift my opinion, but it gets it out there, it gets it off my chest, it gets it out of my mind, and it lets me focus on the actual signals and the noise. But this, make no mistake, is the groundwork being laid for a future investigation, which may not even pop off until after the election, depending on if Trump 
wins. Now, I, I've said enough. I should move on. I hope you join us for 300. I'm planning to have a lot of fun. My buddy Chase is going to be joining us. We'll be live at 5 p.m. Pacific on filter.show slash live. Join us in the Discord. That's where the chat will be at. Unfiltered.show slash Discord. Join us there. Hang out with us live. Unfiltered 300. Of course, it'll be out later for download as well. Either way, you get it. We like it. Thanks so much for joining me on episode 299. Mommy needs a joint. Why, 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 why